0: Hebrews chapter 4, and uh, I'd like to read 14 through 16 if we could, if that'd be all right tonight. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. Let us hold fast our profession, for we have not a high priest which cannot be touched, With the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy. Somebody say mercy. Mercy. And we may find grace to help in the time of need. Come boldly that you may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Let us say amen to the reading of the word of God. Amen. You may be seated tonight in Jesus' name. Now, I'm going to talk to you a little bit about prayer tonight. We're going to deal with some things, but. I want to tell you that these three verses could save us a whole lot of heartache if we would live by just the few principles that we find in these three verses right here. The first thing you need to know is that we have a high priest. They put him in the grave, but he didn't stay there. He got back up. And he is seated. It is rightful place of power. He's not going away. He's not going to disappear. He's not going to get weak and feeble in the end time because the Antichrist and mean old devil whoop him down and he loses all of his power. He is as powerful today as he has ever been. And the world wants you to believe that you are soft and you are weak and you're jelly jelly-backed because you have closed your mind to a concept that you can find God within yourself and that you can reason within your own mind and find what you need to do to believe and whatever. But I'm going to tell you, anybody that can say that has never truly been filled with the same Holy Ghost I have. Because if you've ever had the Holy Ghost living inside of you, you'll never ever try to find anything good within yourself again. You need to know we have a high priest. Amen. We have a high priest. And so because of this, he said, we have... A high priest and uh, he said because you do he said you need to know that it's time for you to hold fast to your profession why does it connect all this together I want to ask you a question tonight how many of you have been in the same profession for a long time anybody here worked the same deals kind of the same lines for a long time you after a while you kind of get good at it right So I'm just curious if there's anybody in here that would be willing if you knew somebody that opened a dentist office this week and last week they ran a jackhammer on a construction crew. (laughs) Never been to school. They just decided they wanted to change their profession. Never. Last week they ran a weed eater and chainsaw on a yard crew and this week they're cutting hair no anybody gonna go see the barber (laughs) why not well because you'd like to know that before somebody cuts your guts open and roots around in there and does surgery that they know what they're doing if they're gonna do an appendectomy on you you want to be sure that they weren't just working on sewer pipelines last week and thought it'd be a neat idea because it's all plumbing right So understand me when I tell you that it's important to hold fast to your profession. I'm not telling you you can't ever change your job. Matter of fact, I had that conversation tonight. I'm still praying every week that God would open up the minds of our people to entrepreneurial spirits. To open up uh, things bigger than what we've ever known before. To bless the kingdom of God to continue to move and grow. I'm not saying that you can't change your way of making a living. But it does make sense. When you see people walking around and they're professing one thing one week and they're professing another thing another week and then they want to come impart the spirit of faith to you. You can't impart this week that you love God and profess this week that you love God. Profess next week that you're really not sure and then two weeks later come back and say, well, I'm going to profess to you tonight and I'm going to impart power to you tonight. We were... Told by, I believe, the Apostle Paul. It's very, it could be Pauline, non-Pauline, epistle, whatever, but it certainly has that ring tone to it that Paul had his hand involved in Hebrews. And I feel like that it's with apostolic authority that we are told that we should hold fast to our profession. We should get a hold of this thing without wavering and grip hold of what we believe. What's that mean? That means. You take negotiation off the table. This is truth. It's the only truth. We're not looking for more truth. We believe Jesus is the living God. We believe that all the fullness of the Godhead dwelleth in him bodily. We believe that we are complete in him. We don't believe we have to look for a new doctrine. We don't believe we have to look for new salvation. We still believe that you must be born again of water and spirit we still believe that you must repent of your sins, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sin, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. That's what I profess to believe. Amen. So you can hold fast to that because our high priest that's made a way for us is not going away. We have a high priest, so hold fast. Now this high priest is not a priest that cannot be touched. By the feeling of our infirmities. What's he saying? He is saying that he may be a God that sits on a high place. But he is very much in touch with where you are. This is why God Almighty robed himself in flesh. He did not come robed as deity. He came as a man. That he would know what it felt like to be a man. He was answering the first question that we ever see God pose in Scripture. Where are you? He was speaking to humanity in the garden after they had fallen. And he said, where are you? There's things about humanity that I've never felt. There's things about humanity that while I understand it, because I created you as human beings but I've never felt that and I don't know how to fix that unless I become like you are and when it did not work with priests and it did not work with lambs and rams and bullocks and turtle doves and it did not work with temples and tabernacles he said I believe I'll just tabernacle myself I believe I'll let the glory of God dwell inside of me and John 1 and 1 said that the word was made flesh and tabernacled among us he dwelt among us and when a ram and a lamb and a bullock and a turtle dove couldn't get the job done he said I'll not only become the lamb and the sacrifice but I'll be the high priest people wonder how he can be father son spirit the same way that he can be lion lamb high priest same way that he can be king and priest We start limiting God when we get a modalistic idea of who he is, and I don't disagree with the fact that he's the father in creation, the son of redemption, and the Holy Ghost in the church. But you have to understand that he didn't have to stop being the God of creation to be the son of redemption. He's God Almighty, and he never has to stop being God to be one of us. He's very much in touch with who we are. There was false doctrine that came out several years ago, and I don't want to get off into it because I certainly don't want to hurt anybody's feelings, but there was some, some silly doctrine that came out several years ago that was uh, labeled as divine flesh. This doctrine was very dangerous because it made Christ such deity that they said he was so much God That he did not feel anything in his flesh. In other words, when he was crucified, the crown of thorns, the the beatings on his back, the nails in his hands and his feet. That because he was God, he felt none of that. I don't believe it. I believe that he felt every whisker that was plucked. I believe he felt every. Drop of blood that ran down his face As they beat that crown of thorns on his head I believe he felt every uh, Metatarsal and metacarpal and whatever the everything in his i believe he felt it all as they drove that through everything that was busting the capillaries the vessels he felt every bit of it he knew it was going on it didn't break his bones it separated his bones because the psalmist said there wouldn't be a bone on his body that was broken but he felt it and when they thrust the spear into his side and blood and water ran out i want to tell you right now that wasn't the blood of god that was the blood of a man because the man came to redeem us as men. It wasn't deified blood. It wasn't holy blood. It was, uh, it was holy blood. It wasn't just the blood of some supernatural being. It was God that manifests himself fully in the flesh. Because he is a high priest that is completely in touch with who we are. You listen to what I'm telling you tonight. Every nail that he took. Every bruise that he had. He was wounded for my transgression. He was bruised for my iniquity. The chastisement of my peace was upon him. And with his stripes, I'm healed tonight. I'm healed tonight. And he felt that. He felt it. He felt it very much. He understood what it felt like to be tempted. And this is the part that's so difficult for me sometimes when dealing with people because they'll make statements like this in counseling. Pastor, the temptation is too great. Imagine, as a North American, the temptation being too great for us to quit, throw in the towel, stop. I can't help it, Pastor. The devil made me do it. (laughs) <laughs> We've already preached that haven't we The devil made me do it why did he make you do it Because the temptation was too great The struggle was too strong The pressure was too real This high priest Can be touched with the feeling Of our infirmity And he was tempted In all points Like we are What's that mean all points all manner What's that mean I'll tell you what it means it means good-looking women were good-looking to him. Come on, somebody. It means he had to choose to be holy. Right. Yes, sir. Right. Yes, sir. Right. Oh, pastor, he was God in the flesh. That was easy. Then why was he praying and saying, if it's possible, let it pass. It's quit. This hurts, it's heavy, it's painful, but there's a reason for the suffering. There's a reason for this. He was tempted to give up like you're tempted to give up. Don't you think for one moment that the flesh of Christ wouldn't have wanted to offload that cross and throw it down and say there's an easier way than this. But rest assured if there would have been an easier way he would have found it out and he'd already tried to use men in the wilderness and he tried to use men uh, in the Sanhedrin and he tried to use the priesthood and men couldn't carry the weight because men were the reason it happened. But the scripture said that through one man the first man Adam that sin became the problem and through the second man Adam he took the weight of all of the sin and the fault and the failure that the first man Adam had created for us and he took that upon himself and he said I'll make a way I'll make a way he can be touched he was tempted like we are tempted you can try to glorify this situation if you'd like to and you can deal with this glorified flesh doctrine if that's what you want to deal with but I'm telling you when it said that he was tempted like we were tempted I believe that's exactly what it means. And one of the most powerful conjunctions in the Bible is written right here in this verse. Yet, without sin. You hear people quote this all the time and they, they say that it's scripture. When they say God will never put more on you than you can bear. But it's, it's really not biblical. It's not a scripture. The only place that we see this scripturally is dealing with temptation when the scripture said you will never be tempted above that which you are able why? because he will make a way of escape it didn't say he'll make you escape understand that he will make a way but you gotta be willing to walk in the way When temptation comes, there will never be a temptation in your life that's so great that you're going to go to hell without your choosing. If you're lost, you'll be lost because you want to be lost. If you're saved, you'll be saved because you want to be saved. You will never be tempted more than what you can handle. You'll never be tempted more than what you can bear. But where there is a way of escape... You must be willing to walk in the way. Tell your neighbor tonight, you need to walk in the way. So pulling all of this together, what does this mean? We have a high priest. Hold on to what you believe. Hold on to what you profess. This high priest is in touch with your infirmities. He knows where you are. He knows who you are. He knows where you're at. He knows what's going on in your life. He said, so let us, therefore, understand how this connects. Because of this, let us. Does that make sense? Let us therefore. That means because of this, we can come before the throne of grace boldly. Because why? Because God became a man. And he knows what you're feeling. He knows what it feels like to lose a loved one. Shortest verse in your King James Bible. Jesus wept. Why? Because of death, he wept. He was broken. He knows what it feels like to be broken. Yes, he is deity, but he is fully deity and fully humanity. He knows what it feels like to be broken. He knows what it feels like to be broke. Oh, man, he owns a cattle on a thousand hill. That's good faith preaching, but he said, the son of man don't even have a place to lay his head. You understand what I'm saying? He knows how you feel. He's been tempted like you are. He said, so because of this, you need to understand that you can approach the throne of grace boldly. What does that word boldly mean? Does that mean brazen? Does it mean that you can come in like a punk and say, hey, I know who you are, so you need to know who I am no we know better than that we don't come before him boldly and say i deserve your grace i deserve your mercy this boldness listen anybody that tells you to approach mercy and grace boldly as what you and i consider boldly they've lost their mind and they're not of god this word in the greek boldly in the greek simply means with confidence i love this you can approach the throne of grace with confidence that he knows who you are, he knows where you are, he knows where you've been, he knows what you need. Well, pastor, I made a mistake. Then I've got confidence that you can come before him with confidence, and he knows right where you are. This is not a license to sin. This is not a license to be foolish. It's the understanding that he knows where you are. And he knows what you felt. And he knows what you feel. And you can come before him with confidence and say, Lord, this mountain has been a little rough for me. And I need some grace right now. I need some mercy right now. Would you touch me one more time? So... got a picture here that's starting to come together but it's probably not the kind of picture you usually get so let us come before the throne of grace confidently with confidence let us come before the throne of grace somebody say the throne i don't know about your mind's eye but when i think about god sitting on the throne it's always a picture of this massive throne and tiny little me about the size of his pinky toe looking at his greatness and overwhelmed by his goodness, right? When you come before him and you start imagining the throne of God, it's like bigger and better than anything you've ever imagined before. Like if the Queen of Sheba fainted when she saw Solomon, could you imagine what it'd be like to see his throne? And so we come, we come before him and we get this in our minds. We have this vision in our mind. The idea of God on the throne makes him seem so big. It's vast, it's far. The throne of God's in the third dimension. It's so far away from where we are. How do I get from here to there, Right? So we start looking to scripture to find some kind of consolation for this with the distance between us and God and how far away it is. And oh my goodness, what a great God, what a great throne, how difficult, how tough. How am I going to reach out to him? We start reading like Isaiah in the year that King Uzziah died, six and one. I saw also the Lord. Where was he? Whew. Long way from here. High. Lifted up. Isaiah 6, 1. You've read it. He was high. Lifted up. And his train filled the temple. This is mesmerizing. This is huge. This is a mighty God. Like, whoa. Look how vast he is. Look how great he is. Look how big God is. Look at this. High and lifted up. And when you see him high and lifted up, you feel like you're low and down. (laughs) That's not his intention, but Isaiah, man, he paints his picture. I saw also the Lord. Woo! Man, he's way up there, and he's really big. His train, the hem of his garment. You start thinking about all that. I've preached that, man, through the years. You, You can preach that. That's a good Friday night after they've shouted at camp meeting all night. You just preach a little bit of that. His train filled the temple. Every victory the king won, they added it to the train. His train filled the temple. That's every victory. Future, past, present. Every victory. It's on him. Wow! Anybody want to preach a little bit tonight? He said, I looked and I saw so many victories. I didn't know what to think. I just, victory after victory after victory. It filled the temple. He was high. He was lifted up. Revelation chapter 20 verse 11. Revelation chapter 20 verse 11. He said, then I saw this, this great white throne think about this now him that sat on it from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away there was no place for them the throne man that's a big god a great throne he that sat on. It. i'm sure glad they didn't say them that sat on it aren't you just thought i'd put that in my wife said i got to preach one god every time i preach I saw a great, great white throne, big, majestic, powerful, great white throne. I saw him that sat on whose face, the earth, he, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. That's powerful. I'm like, wait, wait, wait. We don't want the earth to flee away. I want, I want to get closer, right? So we get this picture of the throne. It's big. It's far. It's distant. It's huge. It's, it's humongous. That's a good word, isn't it? Humongous. What are we going to do? This throne is so far away. But when I read Hebrews 4 and 16. It starts drawing a little bit of a picture. That's a little different than what I imagine. When I read Revelation chapter 20 and verse 11. And Isaiah 6 and 1 about the throne of God. Yes it's great. Majestic. Powerful. It's high. It's lifted up. His train fills the temple. But the writer of the Hebrews said this. He said you need to have confidence in knowing this. That great white throne is not as far away as you think it is it is a throne that is approachable you can touch him you can reach out to that throne and he knows what you're feeling he knows what you're going through he knows right where you are he said then with confidence let us draw near to that throne let us approach that throne let us push forward to that throne so now it poses the question If his throne is that amazing and I can approach it with confidence, how do I get there? Woo! I wish I had time to go into the power of how we approach things. I wish I could tell you how many millions of dollars the FAA spends every year on updating approach charts to fly into airports when you can't see. It's amazing. It's like everything else with government contracts. They spend a lot of money and nothing happens. approach it's an approach but there's a pathway there's a way to get there if you'll follow the plan if I had time I'd teach you a little bit about it. if you follow the plan when you can't see outside and all you got your instruments you don't know what else to look you can't look out on the ground you can't see anything there's a plan that's why they have approach plates. look at the plan brief the plan fly the plan and if you'll stick with the plan you're gonna end up landing the airplane you're gonna be on the ground And if it's real windy, you can land three or four times at once. It's happened before, believe me. Not not with me, right? But there's a plan on how we approach God. And I want to tell you tonight that God has given us the greatest gift we could ever imagine. And it is the power of prayer. I'm so thankful that I got the Holy Ghost. I'm so thankful I've been baptized in Jesus' name, filled with the Spirit. But understand me when I tell you this tonight. We are some of the most blessed people in the world. But we undervalue the most valuable gifts we have. Amen. So true. You know why the culture of prayer is so undervalued in our lives in North America? It's because most of the time we don't pray until we need to. Now after a while you're going to start rediscovering what need is all about and you'll realize how bad you need him every day. But people say, I don't believe in the power of prayer. But it's amazing. You let an atheist hurt bad enough. It's amazing how quickly they believe in it. Are you hearing what I'm telling you tonight? You let somebody say, well you, you guys can pray for him," but I don't really pray. You let their kid get sick go to the hospital. I've, I've had those people. Well, Pastor, I I don't know, I'm not ready to commit to the Lord And their their little kid gets sick, gets some kind of disease Who do they call? They call an atheist? No They call us Why? Because they can say they don't believe in prayer But apparently they do And they know that there's some way that you can touch God And you can get a hold of God And they may not know how to do it And so this is what I believe I believe that one of the reasons why we don't pray Is because we make prayer more difficult than it should be We overthink this and we make prayer so difficult. But prayer has got to become to us like oxygen is to our lungs. It's got to become like breathing to our bodies. Prayer has got to become that for us. It's something that I'm, I'm passionate about. I've tried and tried and tried to finish a book, and I get about halfway through where I want to go and I can't get it done. I love it. I'd rather just spend the time praying. But these guys are going to make me finish it one day. I'm going to get it done. But I'm going to tell you something about prayer. Prayer is abused. We teach ministers how to preach before we teach them how to pray. So for the rest of their lives, they pray when they need something to preach. We got a lot of people that study to preach and they study to teach. You let a young man that hadn't bathed his life in prayer turn him loose one night at youth service. You catch him 30 minutes before that youth service and see if his palms aren't sweating. Oh, Jesus, 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 Jesus. They love it. Why? Why does it get all over them? God, don't let me fail. Don't let me fail. You understand what I'm saying? I'm not trying to bore you to death here. I'm just telling you the way it is. We use prayer as our ticket to get what we want. We use prayer as our ticket, as a bailout plan. We use prayer as, well, God, I'm in a hard time. I need you to get me out. Somebody say, I don't believe in prayer. Let a car pull down in front of them. Oh, God! You know what you did? You just prayed. Prayer can't just be the session that we spend an hour at a time. Prayer's got to become a lifestyle. Right. Prayer's got to be something that's on your mind when you get up in the morning. It's got to be something that's on your mind when you go to bed at night. I was raised. It's funny that he's that he's here tonight. I was raised uh, with my mother, my uncle Mike, and my granddad did it, and my dad did it. But I was raised that prayer was always. It. Could happen anytime in our family. Anytime. Any time. I've been hunting with Brother Bingham, and he'll just bust out with it a little bit. Father, I love you. I thank you for your goodness. True, isn't it? I ain't lying on you. I might, but I'm not doing it right now. Lord, thank you for this animal that I'm about to receive. He and I have prayed a lot of prayers, and God, whatever Judy's praying against him right now. you believe my mom, Brother Castro, prays against my hunting? Is that a shame? Because she believes in the power of prayer. I'm going to tell you, prayer can happen at any time. But there's nothing in these gleaning prayers, these short prayers, it's a powerful thing. But that does not replace that intimate time that you separate for you and God. And I don't mean this to sound inclusive or ugly in, at, at all. But this is a time that's only for you and him. It's the time that nobody else is welcome in that closet with you. It's that place where Jesus said, when you go into your closet, close the door. Why? Why did he say that? Did he just waste those words? No, because real prayer happens when you don't care what else is going on in your world. You shut yourself in that prayer closet. And it doesn't matter what anybody else is saying. What anybody else is praying. You got to get that time with you and God. And, and, and listen. I'm probably going to hurt some feelings right here. But it, it can't really happen just driving down the road. Now I'm not saying that when you're commuting you can't pray. Because I do. If I'm driving I pray. Especially if my wife's driving. I pray a lot. But that's. That's fellowship with God. We need to get that time every day of our lives where we learn to shut out the outside world and shut out what the world's saying. Shut off that crazy news. I want to to show you what I see, and this is probably going to make some enemies right here, but I'm I'm going to show you. If you get mad, just buy me a cheeseburger. I'm going to show you what I see sometimes in people's prayer time. Lord Jesus, I love you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Pating, pating. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Pastor comes walking. close. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. <laughs> Called the one eyed scroll. You know, just kind of. <laughs> Hallelujah. I'm going to tell y'all, this robs so much of our time. It does. It really does. It's really hard. I've had. <laughs> Some long, difficult conversations about this with guys that feel like the only thing you can preach against is TV. There's obvious reasons why there's issues with it. People don't know how to control themselves and so they don't know how to control that. But you can't really just preach against TV anymore. Because it's kind of become like a move point. It is what it is. Somebody the other day was talking about Some preachers were asking, do you have a TV? He said, absolutely, I don't. No. But my wife does. Come on, man. We allow things to steal our time. Now, I'm going to tell you something that maybe might hurt you a little bit. Because I know you believe in your pastor. I know you do. You love me. You preach with me, man. y'all bind together with me. You're behind the vision of what God's doing. But I'm going to tell y'all something you may not know. It's a struggle for me to pray. Well, I fixed that real quick, didn't I? It is. I cannot tell you of a time in my life that I've ever got down to pray that there wasn't something else my mind wanted to do right then. I'm being honest with you. I cannot tell you of a time in my life That I'm not trying to get down here to the sanctuary and somebody will call and say, hey, can you come over here? Can you come over there? Can you come do this? So let me set your mind at ease. I don't care how spiritual you are. There will always be something trying to steal your prayer time. Always. So we've got to learn how to get rid of whatever it is. I'm not going to preach on TV. I'm not going to preach on Netflix. I'm going to preach on time thieves distractions things that are robbing your mind and your emotional energy and you cry over fake people that don't really exist and they've been written into the script of a movie and you cry over a fictitious story that never really happened and you exhaust emotional energy and you're draining your reservoir when you get there. like oh my god he was so cute i'm like he never existed <laughs> you understand what i'm saying I can't believe he died. He didn't die. They finished shooting the shot and he got up and walked off, got his $6 million and left. And we drain our emotional reservoirs. We pick up books that are filled with the kind of marriage that we think we'd like to have. Man. (laughs) Crickets buzzing. Listen, I, hey, I'm all about. Listen, I understand. I understand people preach against TV, but I'm telling you, we got folks reading some stuff that I would, I wouldn't watch, much less read. It'd be amazing if we would focus that time and energy on our relationship instead of wishing that our relationship was like the book. I'm going to tell you tonight, I'm just going to tell you, me and my beautiful, precious wife have been married almost 20 years. Come to be 20 years. And we've had some fusses and fights because we're human beings. But I had to learn a lesson as a young man when I started praying for my marriage. I used to, and I'm, I'm not being ugly at all. She knows my heart. I used to say, God, what is wrong with her? I did. I'm just being honest. I go to prayer, I'm like... God, I don't know what her problem is, but you're going to have to fix her. And the more I matured, and I realized I was praying like a fool, I started coming before the Lord and saying, Father, I thank you for my wife. And if there's something wrong with me, I want you to fix that in me. I want you to help me fix that. Because maybe I'm not being the kind of husband that I should be. Maybe there's something in me God, that I'm missing. Maybe there's something that I'm not doing that I could do. Now, all you wives right now are shifting like, get them, Pastor, get them, Pastor. But I'm, I'm going to tell you, this is a good prayer for a wife to pray. God, fix that lazy bum. I don't know what it. I'm going to tell you something before we start griping about what we got to put on the table and what we got to do the laundry. I'm just going to tell you, there's a lot of folks that would be grateful to have to cook dinner for somebody. still be alone, nobody around. When you get to the end of your course, sometimes that's the way it is. And you're looking back wishing I still had some kids here, still had family here, still had, still had, still had. Better enjoy that time while you can. Somebody said to me this week, they said, bro, your daughter's graduating next year. I said, shut up. <laughs> like you realize you got three weddings. I said, you know, the Lord's coming. Shout amen, Brother Horner. Thank you, Elena. Someday, all of those things you've been begging God to fix could walk right out of your life. Man, is this too tough? I'm going to get done early. I, I just, I'll, I'll get done. I won't make you sit here all night. But I'm saying, we got to rethink the way that we're praying. We can't fill our prayer time with everything that's wrong. That's not praying. That's beating God to death. I don't come before the Lord to tell him everything that's wrong in my life. I can approach him with confidence and let him know I'm weak. I've made mistakes. God, I've got off the path at some point. I understand that. But I don't want you to fix everything that's wrong. I want you to fix me and let me get in alignment with what you're doing. One of the the most powerful ways that you'll ever pray is something that I do in my life on a daily basis. People say, "Pastor, I don't know how to pray. I don't know how you pray two, three, four hours. I don't know how you pray an hour at a time. I don't know how you do that." Listen, there's 66 books that you can pray. So many treasures that are in that book. I spend a lot of time praying the Word. It would surprise you if you would stop and pause with order in your prayer. And I've gone through this. I may do it again. It's been a couple years since I've done it. I've walked some of you through the way that I, that I pray through the tabernacle. My mother prays through the tabernacle, the way that we do that. But it's amazing how it transforms your prayer life when you pray with structure and order because you've shut everything else out and you lock in. It's just you and God. Because I start with the structure of the tabernacle and I enter to his gate with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Guess what I just did? I just quoted scripture. Isn't that something? And so that's how you start. Blessed is the man, Lord, that waits at, the, at, at your gates, that stands at the post of your doors. I will enter into your gates with thanksgiving, into your courts with praise. Be thankful unto you and bless your name. And you begin to just quote the word of God. Prayer and praying the word before the throne of God excites the heart of God because it knows that you have connected your heart with the word of God. And it starts this beautiful romance of what prayer is all about. So when you don't know exactly what you should say, then just get started in the word of God. Well, I mean, how many things can you give God thanks for, Pastor? I mean, I thank you for my car and for my house and for my clothes and for my shoes. As well, you should. But understand, you just started thanking God for things. That means if those things get taken away, you have nothing to be thankful for. And your praise is predicated on what you have and not who He is. And so when I start praying things like, Lord, you're more beautiful to me than I could ever imagine. Fairer than 10,000. You're the lily of the valley. You're the bride and the morning star. You're the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by you. And you start praying all the attributes of who he is. And you're going to realize before you asked him for one thing, you spent just 15, 20 minutes giving him thanks for who he is. And when you enter in and before you start to say anything negative about how bad it's been, it would shock you what happens if you just walked in and said, Lord, I've come to enter your gates of thanksgiving and your court of praise. And then you just enter in and you say, Lord, I will bless you at all times, and your praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad, Oh, magnify the Lord with me. And let us exalt his name together. I've come to this place today, Lord, to exalt you. I've come to lift you up. I've come to magnify you, Lord. I've come to magnify you bigger than the mountains that I can And cannot see I've come to glorify you Bigger than the trouble that's in my life God I've come to glorify you Bigger than the problems that are in my marriage I've come to glorify you And magnify you bigger than the trouble That's in our church Before I ask you to do anything God I want you to know that you're bigger than that You see how that just happens Thank you Lord Lord I thank you I'm, I'm a sinner. I thank you, Lord, that my life was a mess. But you didn't wait till I got it all together and you grabbed that word. I thank you that while I was yet a sinner. <laughs> God, you didn't wait on me to get it all together. You didn't wait on me to get it all right. You didn't wait on me to get it all perfect while well, I was yet a sinner. You died for me. I thank you for Calvary. Thank you for dying. Thank you for your blood. I thank you, Lord, without the shedding of blood. There could be no remission of sin, but you knew that. And you shed your blood and you washed my sin away. Just prayed four minutes. Just like that. Four minutes. Start at eight o'clock. Say it How do you feel an hour of time? It would surprise you what would happen if your prayer time was not just coming to tell God what's wrong. You just lock in with him. Just lock in with Start talking to him. Pour your heart out to him. Leave your phone in the other room. Oh my Lord, what if somebody needs me, folks? Do you remember the heavenly days when somebody had to leave you a message and you didn't get it till you got home? Wasn't that awesome? Lord, have mercy. I want you to think about things. I'm Please understand, I'm not trying to get anybody to go public. Everybody okay? I'm about done. Are you bored out of your minds? I want you to think about some of the things over the last, just, let's just go three days back. You don't have to say anything, you don't have to raise your hand, you don't have to do anything. I want you to think about the last three days of things that have robbed your time that you could have given God in the last three days. I just want you to think about it. If it's a phone, if it's a TV, if it's an iPad, whatever it is. I want you to think about things that have robbed you. Do you feel like your life is any more enriched after that three and a half hour scroll through Facebook? Then you lay your head down at night and say, "Man, I wish I'd have had more time to pray today." Isn't that something? Isn't it weird how the room just shifted right now and everybody kind of felt like, "Oh." What I'm saying to you is, the enemy doesn't always come to us as adultery, fornication, alcoholism, drug addict. He doesn't. That's sometimes he just comes as a thief. To steal, kill, and destroy. What's he stealing? He steals our time, our talents, our treasures. Steals our time with God. I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you to start making it a priority to where it's on your mind. I don't care how you do it. If it's by a phone alarm, if it's by uh, writing, writing a little sticky note, putting it on your mirror when you brush your teeth. So that you got a reminder in the morning. I've got to spend time with God today. Wherever you go and brush your teeth, write a little note. Make time for the Lord today. Start your day with thanks and praise and stick it up there. When you turn on the light before you're scared to death at what you see. Oh! I think it gets worse the older I get. I wake up somewhere and I'm like, oh, turn the light off. Put a note in there. Say, Lord, I want to thank you for my health this morning. Thank you that you kept me through the night. Thank you that you kept me safe. I got up this morning and just started walking through the kitchen. Brother Haney, it wasn't a big deal. I was just counting blessings. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for keeping us through the night. Thank you for a home. Thank you. It's nice and warm in here. Everything's good. Thank you. My kids are healthy. Thank you. My house is in order. I'm grateful. Thank you, Lord, for ammo. (laughs) Thank you, Lord, for Smith & Wesson. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you that I didn't need them last night. Thank you, Lord. Anybody in here that's gone hungry this week? No? Nobody's starving? (laughs) Yeah, if you'd shut up, I'd eat. (laughs) Anybody? Is there anybody this week that the Lord's let you down? Anybody? Do we have any reason to be grateful tonight? I don't have it all together, Pastor. My life's a mess. I, I got some things I need to get in order before I really get a prayer life. I think we got that backwards. <laughs> when you really get a prayer life, things will start coming together. Well, I've been praying, asking God to send me a spouse. I've been praying, asking God to send me a companion. I've been praying, asking God to send me a new job. Hang on a second. Why don't we just start praying, and then maybe God will send the job. Or maybe God will just give you the raise on the job you got. I got a text today. Somebody that went home and had a had a, a check deposited from the IRS that they never knew they were going to get. And then they were told by their boss come uh, come this week, I believe it's this is coming week, they're going to get the biggest raise they've ever got in the history of working for that company ever. 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 I love those messages when I get them, because it'll always have something to do with the the little prayer that we pray. Gifts and surprises, bills paid off, debts dismissed. But that's not why we pray. But it sure gives us another reason to be grateful. I want us tonight to work on some things, and I'm not going to go into this. Maybe we're going to take some time later to talk about this. But I, even, I just want to admonish you, especially our young people, when we come together in prayer meeting to eliminate distractions. I've noticed that a lot of times in our prayer meetings, it's, we, we can't pray if we don't have iPod ears and we don't have headphones on. We're like in a certain deal. I can't tell you the power of your personal prayer closet, and I can't tell you the power that's in praying together as a family, as a family of God. I cannot tell you the power, what it means when we come together in here on Thursday nights or we're in the prayer room Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and we're praying together collectively as the body of Christ. If one puts a thousand to flight, two, ten thousand, can you imagine what happens when we come together and we start calling on the name of the Lord together and we've already touched and agreed on earth as touching anything in his name? Amen. If this church is known for our school, if we're known for... Our music, if we're known for whatever, when I die, I will have failed. I don't want this church to be known for great preaching. I don't want this church to be known for great worship music. I want it to be known for prayer. Why? Amen. Because when we're a praying church, when people walk in the back door, before they ever hear us preach or they ever hear us sing, they feel the power of prayer. When they drive by, they feel something. Yeah. They feel it when they drive by. I've been praying that, man. Bishop prayed for years. We hadn't seen it yet, Dad. I believe we're going to see it. My dad used to say all the time he was praying that God would put a fire on the top of this church. And people driving by see it and think it's on fire. And the fire truck come down here and say, what's going on? And the only thing happening, we're just having a rocking church. It's the power of prayer. I want this church to be so steeped in the power of prayer that when your neighbors go by your house, they feel something emanate from your house. Amen. Come on, somebody. Your neighbors need to know who's, whose door they can knock on when they're sick. They need to know where they can go. They need to know there's a place they can come. Feel the power of God, the presence of God. Saturate that thing. I got to quit. We got to get out of here. Lord, have mercy. Don't anybody need ambient on Wednesday night when pastor's preaching? James the 4th chapter and the 8th verse. How do I do it, pastor? How do I get to his throne? James chapter 4 and verse number 8. Draw nigh to God. He will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hearts, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. I feel like tonight, this should go without saying for most of us, but for those of us that have not yet learned, The closest way to get God to connect with us is to just begin to draw nigh to him. Shut out the world. Sit down and say, God, I need your presence more than I need anything. I need your presence more than I need money. I need your presence more than I need a job. I need your presence. Find that time to shut in with God in a secret place. There in the spirit, beholding his face. Gaining new power to run in this race. How I love to be shut in with God. We preach and teach about prayer more than any other movement in the world. There's there's no other movements like Pentecost that preach about prayer. But I want to tell you what's sad. On a grand scale, it would surprise you how many other movements pray more than we do. And I don't want to go out on a negative deal. But I've sat down with men that don't have full truth. And they say, I started my day this morning with two hours of prayer and devotion. I'm like, oh, God. I started mine with donuts and coffee. (laughs) I want to give God my best. I want to give Him my best. I want to. I want to give. I want to give God my best. I don't want to get to the end of the race and realize I left it all out there. I've, I've still got some left that I could have given Him. I want to give God my best. If you want to draw near to the Lord tonight, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet and just lift your hands, your hearts, and your voices. Let's reach out to the Lord tonight in prayer. Father, we honor you and thank you for your goodness. We're asking you, O oh God, to draw near to us as we draw near unto you. Receive our praise and be blessed tonight, God. We will bless you. Your praise will continually be in our mouth. God, I want to be connected to your heart every day. I want to pray in the Spirit every day. I want to walk in the Spirit every day. I want to live for you every day. I want my heart to be clean. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit, O living God. I pray over this body tonight, Lord Jesus. That in this evil day, having done all to stand, we would stand therefore. Having our loins girt about with truth. Having on the helmet of salvation the breastplate of righteousness. Our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith wherewith we shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. And taking the sword of the spirit in our hand, which is the word of God. Help us to stand, Lord Jesus. I pray, God, that we would open up our mouths to speak boldly, to make known the mystery of the gospel for which we are ambassadors. Let us walk holy before you. Help us to do justly and love mercy and walk humbly with our God everywhere that we go. And let us share your goodness with somebody else. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, we pray. Thank you, Lord Jesus, and let the church say amen. 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 I love you, church. Thank you for being at midweek tonight. I pray that your life is blessed and enriched. We'll see you tomorrow night at prayer meeting.